Homeward is committed to partnering with parents and equipping you with the resources you need to raise your kids to become responsible adults. And Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment company, is proud to partner with Homeward to bring you the following podcast presentation. Start making requests for specific things. For example, if you feel like they're being irresponsible as a father, don't continue to say, you know, you got to spend time with these kids. You're going to miss out on these kids' lives. They're going to be gone soon, you know. And you keep coming down, the guy's feeling worse and worse and worse, and he wants to stay away from you. You're not the boss of me. Just listen to me, okay? Listen to me. I don't have to listen to you. But if you say to him, you know, would it be possible for you to play shoots and ladders with Johnny tonight? He loves playing that game with you. Well, you've made a specific request for a specific time, and he's far more likely to do it, and he feels good about having done it, and then he's more likely to do it again. Marriages are going to encounter problems from time to time. That's healthy. That's uh, probably normal, too. But what happens when your marriage reaches a point of desperation, and it feels like one spouse is really just completely at odds with the other, and the other doesn't want to make things better? Well, on today's edition of Homeward, parenting and family expert Dr. Jim Burns continues his conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman on some help and hope for desperate marriages. From the studios at the Homeward Center for Youth and Family on the campus of Azusa Pacific University, welcome to Homeward with parenting and family expert Dr. Jim Burns. I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks so much for your prayers and your faithful financial support. A couple days left in the fiscal year. In just a moment, information on how you can support us financially. But now, here's Jim. Welcome to Homeward. I'm Jim Burns. Today is a continuing conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman, hope and healing for desperate marriages is what we're talking about. You know, many marriages today are in trouble and would be considered desperate, but you know what? There's hope, and Dr. Chapman is going to help us through this process. We've had a continuing conversation from an excellent book that he's written called Desperate Marriage, Moving Toward Hope and Healing in Your Relationship. Yes, there is hope, and there is healing, even in desperate situations, and I believe that. You know, your circumstance may not change immediately, but your attitude can change, and that makes all the difference in the world. We're going to talk more about that. Author of the best-selling Five Love Languages. It's a New York Times bestseller. He's a seasoned pastor and counselor for over 30 years, helping people grow and move forward in their faith as well as in marriage. His radio program, A Love Language Minute, is heard on over 100 stations nationwide. And he and his wife, Carolyn, have been married for 47 years. They have two adult children and two grandchildren. I teased about this, but 47 years, you got married when you were six? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was 16. Anyway, <laughs> as I oftentimes say, I appreciate so much you and who you are, and uh, you have been such a, a mentor uh, in, in my own life uh, from afar and now getting to spend more time with you. Desperate marriage. I mean, that's the story. And you say that the answer to desperate marriage is what you call reality living. And I appreciate that because it's not necessarily always easy. Um, now, you've identified six realities for married life. And we talked about it previously, but I want for our listeners who didn't hear this as a continuing conversation to hear these uh, six realities of married life. Well, I think these are really important, Jim, because it has to do with the way we think about our marriage. Uh, one is that I'm responsible for my attitude. Whatever the marriage situation, I choose how I'm going to think about it. And if I think negatively, I'm going to behave negatively. On the other hand, if I think positive, I'll probably be redemptive. Uh, secondly, my attitude affects my actions. Always. The way I think about it is going to affect what I end up doing. And a third reality is that I cannot change my spouse, but I can influence my spouse. And many folks don't get the last part. They kind of give up and they say, well, you can't change your spouse. But the reality is you can influence your spouse. And this book is on how to have a positive influence on your spouse. And the fourth reality is that my emotions do not need to control my behavior. 
most of the time we simply go with the flow. Whatever I'm feeling, that affects what I do. But we can admit our feelings, but not serve our feelings. And we can take positive steps, even though we have negative feelings. And number five is that admitting my own imperfections doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Many of us are afraid to admit that part of this is my problem. It may only be 5%, but it's my problem. And we deal with our 5%. And in confessing and asking forgiveness, we model for our spouse what they need to be doing. And then the sixth, the last principle in reality living is that love is the most powerful weapon in the world for good. And when you put that into marriage, it means learning the love language of your spouse and speaking it regularly, no matter how they treat you. And then if they don't respond positively, you come in with tough love at a certain point. But if you try tough love and you haven't done the tender love, the tough love will not have a very positive influence. Well, that's a great, great reminder. Now, I want to get right into some of these, what you call scenarios, if you oh. would, uh, desperate marriage scenarios. You know, you've seen this for years in your counseling and now you've written about it. I want you first of all to talk about the marriage that is plagued by what you call the irresponsible spouse. You know, I had an experience where I was doing a marriage conference and somebody came up to me, a couple, and they're holding hands, so that was good. And she said, you know, we have a problem because he's a flake. So of course I look over at him and he kind of shakes his head. Well, I am kind of a flake, you know, he's irresponsible. Uh, what do you say to, to that couple? Well. Well, first of all, what they're saying when they say they're irresponsible can be different things. It may mean that the spouse is not working. Mm -hmm. And the, let's say a husband's not working and the wife is having to carry all the load. He works three months, he gets mad, and he walks off the job. And that's right. been the scenario for 10 years. He spent more time on the couch or in the gym right. than he has working. On the other hand, uh, the person may be working fine, but at home they do nothing. And so the spouse feels like, well, they're irresponsible. Yeah. They won't help me around here. So there's a lot of different kinds of irresponsible spouses. But if you, if you feel that your spouse is being irresponsible, they're not being an adult, they're not accepting responsibilities right. in whatever level, and consequently, it's been detrimental to the marriage. Again, I come back to the realities, and, and you ask yourself, what can I do constructive in this situation? Well, I'm going to say the first thing is you love them. You speak their love language because when they begin to sense that you really care about them, they're more open to your suggestions or your request. But by nature, we don't want to love them because we don't like them. <laughs> so right. we don't want to speak their love language. We don't want them to feel like everything's all right. But when you speak their love language, you're meeting one of their basic needs so that when you say to them, then, honey, could you do this or could you do that? They're more likely to do it. Uh, a second uh, aspect of dealing with an irresponsible spouse is be specific in your request. Uh, typically, we come down negative. We tell them what's wrong with them rather than making requests on what they could do to make things better. What you're saying is nag nagging doesn't work as much as we want to nag. Absolutely. And by nature, that's what we do. And why do we keep doing that? <laughs> I mean, it, it hasn't worked for hundreds of years. We keep nagging. Start making requests for specific things. For example, if you feel like they're being irresponsible as a father, don't continue to say, you know, you got to spend time with these kids. You're going to miss out on these kids' lives. They're going right. to be gone soon, you know. And you keep coming down. The guy's feeling worse and worse and worse, and he wants to stay away from you. Uh, but if you say to him, you know, would it be possible for you to play shoots and ladders with Johnny tonight? He loves playing that game with yeah. you. Right. Well, you've made a specific request for right. a specific time and he's far more likely to do it right. and he feels good about having done it yeah. and then he's more likely to do it again well that's actually a great comment you know kathy had a list just recently for me and it was about 20 honey do things <laughs> and i was overwhelmed <laughs> with it 
And she made the mistake of, you know, even putting it on the refrigerator. I am not exaggerating this story. And I was just absolutely overwhelmed. So I said, well, Kathy, just let me do one of these. So she yeah. actually gave me kind of an easy one. I am not the handyman. So I did. I, I called the handyman and he came over. And I, was, I love just pushing that thing. Now, I did nothing but make the phone call. And right. Actually, Kathy even had to write the check for the guy who was more expensive than I thought. Uh, but, you know, it's very good that you say be specific. I think that's very, very helpful. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did was we probably married this irresponsible spouse because maybe they were spontaneous or yes. you know there were certain things that we were really drawn to now that's driving us crazy yeah. so we got to be specific with them uh, many marriages are also plagued today by a workaholic spouse uh, you know men often but more and more yeah. it seems like it's women as well uh, who are just obsessed with their work and they don't mean to neglect family these are good people yeah. maybe they go to your church maybe they go to my church but the workaholic side to it is really making it a desperate marriage because they're lacking intimacy and, um, um, and an emotional bond. Yeah. What, what do you say to the spouse who has a workaholic spouse and, and really doesn't know what to do? Well, the worst thing you can do is criticize him and criticize the company. Mm-hmm. Can't believe your company allows you to work that many hours, you know, and, and, and then go on and about his, his uh, you know, working too much. All that does is drive him away. At work, he gets accolades because he's working so hard. At home, he gets criticism. So if you want to help him, stop the criticism and start affirming him for the positive things he's doing. Honey, I really appreciate the way you bring home the money, you know, and I really appreciate, you know, and you start talking about appreciation for what he's doing. Uh, So that's the first step. I think also then you make sure you're, you're speaking his love language and then you make requests of him. Could we take a weekend off together? So rather than cursing, you start making requests on specific things he could do for you. Now, if the tender love approach doesn't work, there is a place for tough love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the wife. Uh, this is a key story. I love this story. Uh, she, she said to her husband, her husband was a workaholic. He was never home during the week. And on Saturday, he felt like that was his day. He played golf. And he, didn't, he wouldn't take his kids. He wanted to be, you know, just him and the guys at golf. And, and so Sunday, he was watching television. Uh, so his wife said to him on a Sunday morning, would it be possible, would you be willing for you and I just to take a ride in the country this afternoon? And he agreed Sunday afternoon. So they drove in the country and she took him to a retirement center, parked in the parking lot. He didn't know really what it was. And they walked inside and they saw these beautiful chandeliers, really nice, you know, entranceway. And, and then he realized this is a retirement home. And he said, what are we doing here? And she said, well, I just thought, you know, when we retire, we, can, we could be here and you could play golf every day and we could have sex every night. And we, we can have a wonderful life. And he said, what are you talking about? I am 39 years old. (laughs) And she said, I know. And I don't intend to wait until we retire to have a life with you. If you want to have a life with me, then let's go home and make it happen. If you don't, you can live in this retirement center by yourself. And he said it was a wake-up call. He said, we were quiet driving home. But he said, the next day I started thinking, you know, how can I cut back at my work? How can I make things different here? And he said, after two months, I realized I couldn't do it. And so I just quit my job. And I took another job that would allow me to have time at home. He said, it was the whole turning point of our life. Well, that's tough love. Right. You know, she was doing all of her part. She was loving him unconditionally. She was giving him, you know, positive uh, words, affirming him. And then she came in with a tough love approach. And because he was receiving love and he had something to lose, 
he was willing to make a change. It's an incredible story and a defining moment in a marriage, and sometimes yeah. we need to do that. Roger? Well, we're talking about offering help and hope for desperate marriages today on the Homeward Broadcast, and if that story resonated with you, it might have sounded a little too familiar uh, if you're a husband or a wife right now in, a, in what we would consider a desperate marriage. So very glad that you tuned in to the Homeward Broadcast today. Remember, if you missed any part of this two-part conversation with Dr. Jim Burns and Dr. Gary Chapman, we are archiving the audio for you. Uh, we're streaming today's program at Homeward.com and podcasting through iTunes. And when you go to Homeward.com, you can find out uh, how easy it is to start receiving that subscription. Also, speaking of online resources available to help you in your desperate marriage, sometimes the spiritual component really suffers in a desperate marriage, uh, even more so because it's tough for the one spouse who wants to make it to work to feel you know, bolstered in their faith. Uh, the Homeward Daily Online Devotional is a great resource to have if you just need that little nugget of encouragement to get you over that emotional hump and a spiritual one too. It's free, comes your way Monday through Friday, and if you'd like to start that free subscription even right now, go to homeword.com. But we need to talk about this. I know, I know, but I'm exhausted. Well, I am too, but I don't think this can wait until morning. Well, why not? Well, you can't always plan on when conflict will take place in your marriage, but you can establish some ground rules about when you'll sit down and try to sort things out. My wife Kathy and I have been married for more than 30 years, and I'm convinced that one of the reasons we have such staying power is because we've learned something about when to have intense conversations. You see, Kathy's a night owl and I'm an early riser, and so we've agreed to have a not after 10.30 p.m. or before 8 a.m. conflict rule in our house. When we were first married, we found that some of our worst arguments happened before 8 in the morning or after 10.30 at night. So we made a compromise, and it really helped us with our conflict resolution. Figuring out the best time of day to talk about what really matters is part of creating an intimate marriage, the kind of marriage you've always wanted. I'm Jim Burns from Homeward. Welcome back. I'm Jim Burns. Great continuing conversation today with Gary Chapman. We're talking about hope and healing for desperate marriages, an incredible author, best-selling author of the Five Love Languages, seasoned pastor and counselor for over 30 years, helping people grow and move forward in their faith as well as in their marriages. And uh, Gary and his wife, Carolyn, have been married for 47 years, and they live in North Carolina. Always so good to have you with us, Gary. We're talking today about desperate marriage, moving toward hope and healing in a relationship. And you seem to be very hopeful. I mean, we're talking about this negative stuff, but yet you seem to be very hopeful because you've really seen that through the years. You've seen people in pretty tough situations move through those situations to a much better life, including your own marriage. Yeah, and the reality is, Jim, most of the people who come for counseling are desperate. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people don't come in with little problems. They come in with big problems. And I guess that's why I have so much hope is that I've seen people through the years come to grips with reality, admit that they are in a difficult situation, but also decide we're going to try to do something about it. And if you start taking that attitude that we're going to work on this, there's some things we can do, we can make this better. And particularly for the Christian, you have God to help you in doing this. I really believe there is hope, genuine hope. In, in what I'm calling desperate marriages. Yeah, no, and that's great. And I want to walk through some of these scenarios. We've talked about the workaholic and we've talked about the irresponsible person. But, you know, I think one of the, the major ones that you speak to and that sure is happening in America is the desperate situation of, of a controlling spouse. I mean, how does a person deal with 
with a spouse who really is controlling. They they have a negative approach. There seems to be the power play. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you what do you do in a situation like that? Well, this is tough. This is tough because most controllers do not see themselves as contrast controllers. Yeah. They see themselves as being responsible. Right. Uh, I call it high maintenance of the worst kind. They they <laughs> they think they're low maintenance. I took that from yeah. the movie when Harry met Sally. But. Yeah, uh, and you know I, I I've I've seen this to the extreme. I remember the husband who said to his wife, "Don't uh, don't run the dryer anymore. Hmm. We're wasting money. We can hang the clothes up in the basement." And he strung lines in the basement for her to hang the clothes on. He put in a water saver. That's where I would be sleeping <laughs> right now. He put in a water saver uh, shower head, you know, just lets oh, a little gosh. bit of water and a whole okay. bunch of air <laughs> saving water. And I could go on. I mean, this, you know, and, and this is not, a, this is not a, just to isolate them. I mean, right. A lot of people you like this. That, I'm sure. This, this focus here is on focusing on saving money by controlling things. And uh, so his wife said, I just don't know if I can live the next 30 years with, with this, you know. And she had talked to him and. And from his perspective, woman, why can't you understand, you know? And if you look at it simply from a money perspective, the guy, hey, they were good ideas. If that's all, if that's the objective in life. Uh, but the reality is the objective in marriage is not saving money. The objective is building a relationship and enjoying life together. And uh, so we, we, you know, listen to this, talk through, listen to him. He had a hard time understanding her perspective. Most controllers do because they feel like their ideas are the, are the right ideas, and that's why they're so demanding about it. Uh, but finally, she had to use the tough love approach to him. And like on the water saver shower head, <laughs> she said to him, uh, I do believe it's saving money. And, and this, is a, this is the approach I use. You agree, you agree, but you don't let them control you. So she said, you know, it is true that we're saving money on this water saver shower head. And I admire that in you, that you have this ability to understand things like that. However, I can't take 30 minutes every day just to get the soap off my body. And uh, consequently, if you don't have it replaced by Saturday, next week, I'll call the plumber and I will have it replaced. It's going to cost more money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he didn't. Right. And she did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he left it. I mean, he didn't. He didn't, you know. So what I, what I was saying to her is you agree with his perspective. From his perspective, it's right. It's a, it's a saving money. So you agree with him, but you don't allow him to control you. Same thing true with going out with her friends. You know, he, he would not, didn't want her to go out with her friends. You know, she'd like to go out one night a week with some ladies from the church. No, 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 no. you got to stay home, you know. And, and I said to her, you, you agree with him that what he's saying is he, he wants you to be there and it's positive and you're glad that he wants you to be at home and so but you don't allow him to control you 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 do what is right no matter what he and after a bit the controller realizes that he's not going to be able to control so and so it, it's often the tough love approach that helps yeah. a controller begin to come out of it it's interesting because you keep going toward you know loving doing the right thing but then you come back in a situation like this to t eventually you're going to have to do some tough love yes but tough love isn't angry love it's not bitter it's actually really thinking pretty logical through that, the process that's right and that's why you know I, when i'm talking with someone who's let's say married to an alcoholic and what i'm saying the tough love approach is to say to them you know i love you very much and i realize that the last 10 years i have done you a disservice i've covered up for you I've called your boss. I've tried to make everything right. 
But because I love you so much and realize now that I've been doing a disservice to you, I want you to know that the next time you come home drunk, I'm going to take the kids and we're going to move to mother's house. And whenever you get involved in a treatment program and then you get out and get involved in counseling and the counselor wants me to come, I'm happy to come and I'll meet with you and the counselor and we'll begin to work on our marriage. But I love you too much to sit here. It's tough love. But she's not abandoning him. See, that's often what we do. We just abandon the person. Not abandoning him, but she's loving him. And she's saying, I'm ready. Whenever you get to the place where you're ready, I'm ready. And, and it's, a, it's a great way to do it. It's not always easy for the spouse who uh, is in that situation because she's got or he's got their own insecurities and their <laughs> own issues. But really what you're saying is they've got to bucket up, have the courage, and maybe even some, have some people help them yeah. think through that process of you know, how they're going to really actually move to, to mother's house or wherever. Yeah, and what I say in the book is if, you're, if you have to take that approach, you really do need to have somebody with you. This is the role of a counselor, a pastor, a really trusted, mature friend to be with you while you're making this decision. Because a person that has acquiesced in this kind of behavior for mm-hmm. 10 years likely doesn't have the emotional ability to do it by themselves. Right. They need somebody else that's there affirming them and helping them take those kind of steps. Right. But it's a loving thing to do. And, and particularly if you have been giving the tender love for a period of time. Now the alcoholic realizes I have something to lose. And often that's where an alcoholic will reach out for help when they get to the bottom and realize they're about to lose something that's important to them. Yeah, that's actually great insight. Well, there there is great hope even in a desperate marriage. You've convinced us of that. Great job. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jim. Always enjoy being with you. Well, the feeling is mutual, and that concludes part two of Dr. Jim Burns' two-part conversation with Dr. Gary Chapman here on the Homeward Broadcast. We've been discussing some help and hope for desperate marriages, and uh, these are themes that you'll find in Gary's book called Desperate Marriage, and also uh, Dr. Jim Burns' book, uh, Creating an Intimate Marriage. Those are themes that are recurring in marriage, but uh, there is help, there is hope, regardless of how desperate the situation is in your marriage, and uh, contact us at homeward.com if you'd like more information on how to get these resources. Another area where a marriage can grow a little desperate is when it comes to money and sometimes we parents don't do a great job of talking to our kids about the S word meaning stewardship. Jim, talk about an experience you had recently in this area. Well Roger, not too long ago I was speaking to a group of several hundred kids on the subject of stewardship of all things. It's not the subject they usually want to talk about. But I asked them, do you really know what the word stewardship means? And one kid even said, yeah, it's when your dad gives you 50 bucks. (laughs) Not exactly what stewardship is all about. But obviously there's a lot more to stewardship than just giving over money to your kids. And I'm concerned that we parents could do a much better job of talking to our kids about money and about saving, spending, giving, and even investing. That's why I am so glad that our good friends at Steadfast Companies have partnered with us in creating this new set of tip sheets on stewardship. They're based on a series of well-known Bible stories that should be fairly easy for our kids to understand, and they also include some practical tips that your whole family can use to start looking at issues like giving and saving and investing from a more eternal perspective. Well, we are so grateful that our friends at Steadfast Companies, a leading real estate investment trust company, have partnered with us to create these new tip sheets. If you go to homeward.com, there's the Get Answers box. That's our keyword section. Just put the keyword in as steadfast, S-T-E-A-D-F-A-S-T. It'll direct you to the articles and media section, which will direct you to the two tip sheets that are in there for you. Homeward.com, keyword S-T-E-A-D-F-A-S-T for these new tip sheets. And now for Dr. Jim Burns, our engineer Ben Camp, and the rest of the staff, I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to join us again next time right here for another edition of Homeward. 
Homeward with Jim Burns is a production of the Homeward Center for Youth and Family at Azusa Pacific University.